regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. I am your host, Jacques Hopkins, and right over there is our co-host. What's going on, Dr. K? Oh, I'm super fantastic up here. How are you doing? I'm super fantastic. Uh, good, man. I uh, did, did I tell you last week that I was going to be recording the newest version of my flagship piano in 21 Days course? Yes, you did. I have I have good news and bad news about that experience. Okay. The good news, well, the bad news is I didn't record the whole thing. The good news is that I recorded about half of it and it went really, really well. Let's talk about let's talk about recording courses for a minute. Are you cool with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. It's been it's been about four years since I recorded the previous version of my piano course. And it's, it's, I've recorded it several times. And every time previous to this, I recorded the entire course in one day. I'm just a big wow. fan of, of batching things. And that's, you know, the first couple of versions, I was still working my full-time job when I recorded them. So I had to, um, you know, my, my wife and I were both out of the house at the same time working when we were both like in the house at the same time after hours too. So I, I would always have to schedule it around her kind of being out of the house because I recorded it in my piano in, in our living room. And so it was, it was a big deal to get that schedule. Well, now, you know, I've, I haven't worked in a traditional job in five years and I have my own office here in my house and I can, you know, as long as the, the kids aren't home, then it's, it's, I can record it just about any time I want, um, Monday through Friday to five type of thing. So I scheduled it for this past Friday. My calendar was open, ready to go. I had my curriculum ready, all my notes and. I'm just like way more into the course than I've ever been in the curriculum. And I've, and I've shared that along this way. And so every lesson is just, it's longer than, than previous and it's better. And I'm not taking any shortcuts at all. And I look up and it's about 3.15 on Friday and I've, I've gotten through day 11. And I'm like, I'm done. Like I don't have mm-hmm. anything left in the tank. I am done. I gave it my all. And I'm going to have to draw the line right here. Well, I think that's the right call. I mean, energy energy is so important. I mean, if, if you could give a new course creator one one piece of advice the first time they record themselves is you got to like turn up the energy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you got to gotta call it. Yeah, you do. So the, have you now recorded the last 10? No, I'm going to do it this Friday. And, you know, it takes my video editor probably a day, um, a day to, to do each lesson. So. I'm still going to be ahead of him if I finish this Friday. So he's he's starting to work on the, the editing part. And so I didn't, it's not good. It, me not finishing the recording doesn't delay these lessons getting out there and, and being released mm-hmm. and launched because we have the editing side of things. And we spent a lot of time on the editing. I've got three camera angles. Some, you know, the, the, the lesson where I taught the pedal, I actually had to use my phone and put it at my foot because I needed a fourth camera angle to show what I was doing with my foot. <laughs> So there's a lot here and I recorded my screen, I recorded my piano, there's a lot of raw files. It takes a while to edit these things to do it the right way. Now, what time did you actually start recording the first the first lesson? Mm, so the kids went to school about 8 and I just um I did a lot of preparation the night before, but I still had a few little last minute you know things to do to to get ready. So I probably didn't hit record 
until about nine o'clock. And you wow. know what the most nerve wracking part of that whole thing is? And this is a good, uh, you know, people that have recorded courses, especially ones where it's not just like a screen record where you're actually on camera, will get this. But like, what if my microphone went out or one of the cameras went out? Like, and you have to redo <laughs> yes. a lesson or multiple lessons? Like, that would be really frustrating, right? So the way I did it is I hit record everywhere. I had to record like seven different places. And then I would do a lesson. And then I wouldn't stop recording. I would just let it keep recording, but I would be like, okay, now I got to go check all seven things to make sure they're still recording <laughs> before I pick back up on the next lesson. Because the last thing I uh, was to not have everything I needed. Fortunately, it went really well. You know, that's, that's part of what I'm saying when I say it went really well. I've got the integrity of all the files is there. I recorded everything in 4K. The quality of the audio is good. The quality of the video is good. And, um, the files are all there. Nothing, nothing seemed to have glitched. And it was a seamless handoff to my editor. And I felt really good about it throughout the day. So awesome. Well, six hours, I would say the most that I, I figured out I could only really record good content from 10 to one. So three hours was the most I was like that that was it. So six hours is a lot of stamina in my book. Yeah, for sure. I didn't I, I was drinking water and coffee. I didn't eat anything till after I was done. But I was I went out and and Went to my wife about 3.15. I was like, babe, I did a great job, but I got about halfway through and I am so wiped out and I got a bite to eat and I made myself a, uh, a little cocktail and I was, I was just done. Nice. Yep. So the, the other half is this Friday. I've got it scheduled. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it and I hope to finish up the recording this Friday. Very nice. Your turn. What's going on in your world? Oh, man. Well, I mean, for a lot of 2020, I kind of shelved my course and just wasn't super active in it. And so starting to gear up with the anticipation that at some point the world's going to get back to normal and, and chiropractors around the country are going to feel like they can go and do lunch and learns in person. So um, this Thursday, I am doing a little interview with, I found this other chiropractor that he also has brought in well over a million dollars through this specific type of marketing. And so he didn't learn it from me, but I'm just going to sit down with him and get that social proof that this concept of going out in person, talking to people does work. So I'm super excited about that. Um, Christmas, I got a bunch of money from people. And so I went out and bought a, uh, a new camera. So I got a Canon T6i and I got that specifically because I wanted to get a Parrot Padcaster. Nice. And so I'm all excited to use the Padcaster. Did you use the Padcaster during the recording of your your new course? No, I actually didn't. Um, I had notes up on my screen, like bullet points. Um, I just, I'm so intimate with this curriculum that I don't need an exact script, but I certainly use it for, for a, lot of, a lot of times if I'm doing like a sales video or even certain YouTube videos. I love the Padcaster. It's amazing. It's a $99 teleprompter and it blows the five and $600 ones out the water in terms of simplicity, ease of use. I, I've used both types and it's, it's amazing. That's awesome. Did, did you get the Padcaster yet or you just have the camera? Yes, they both, both arrived and I haven't really fully gotten going with using them. So excited to play with them. Really cool. Now, what, what lens did you get? Because that's more important than the camera. I know. It's, it's just a standard one that came with that T6i. Nope. You think hey, I need to upgrade? Yes, please. You need to upgrade. Get that nice blurry background. Let's get let's get Dr. K as professional as possible. You <laughs> could go with a nifty 50. There's some it's about a hundred bucks for a nifty fifty. And the problem with that is you need a lot of space. 
You need mm-hmm. a lot of space between yourself and the and the wall behind you, but uh, but what you really need is a lot of space between you and the camera um, because of just how much the Nifty Fifty zooms in. It's not it's it's called a prime lens, and that means that you can't zoom in and out. Okay. But if you want to go a little more expensive, about I think around three hundred fifty dollars, you can get a Sigma prime lens. <laughs> Sigma is the brand, and okay. that's what I use, and it is game changer. And you don't have to stand near as far away from the camera. And that is, I'm telling you, that is the game changer for for making just super high quality videos. But are these lenses camera specific? Because you're a Sony guy. And yeah, this I'm is a Sony a guy now. I was a Canon. I was a Canon guy. I think I had a T7i. But um, Sigma is a is a brand, um, third party brand. It's not you know under Sony or Canon or anything like that. And so they make lenses for both brands. Mm-hmm. But you've got to get like my Sigma lens on my Sony camera will not work on yours for the for your Canon. But they make Canon lenses. And when I had a, a Canon, I had a Sigma lens. I've since I think sold it on on eBay. Otherwise, I'd give it to you. But yeah, you just look for a, a Sigma Prime lens that's specifically for Canons. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I, I'm a hobby photographer. I mean, as long as the aperture, the little hole that lets the light into the camera through the lens is big enough, that's what creates that blurry mm-hmm. bokeh effect. So exactly. I assume that this, I'll, I'll play with it and check it out. But yeah, you want to try to get it as low, low as 1.4 would be ideal on the aperture. And I'm, I bet your lens that you have that came with it doesn't go down to 1.4, maybe no, like, probably two, not maybe two. like 2.8. And so that's what, and I think the Nifty 50 goes down to 1.4, but there's some downsides, like I said, and the Sigma that I use, which you're looking at me right now is certainly a 1.4 aperture. Gotcha. That's why this great LSU football helmet back here is so blurry. <laughs> Go Tigers. All right, man. Nice. Any other updates? Well, so I, I've shared before that I like a good true crime story and I'm yeah. reading this true crime book that really illustrates one of the more interesting uses and just, uh, proof that a uh, online course works. So have you ever heard of the barefoot bandit? No. Okay. So this is back in 2009, but up in the uh, San Juan Islands, a Northwest uh, region of, of Washington state, there was this young guy named Colton Harris Moore. He was 17 and uh, just a terrible home life and upbringing ended up in juvenile uh, facilities a couple times. And at 17, he just ran away. And essentially, he started breaking into these people's vacation homes. And he'd sit there, eat some beanie weenies, uh, eat some cinnamon toast crunch. And then uh, ultimately, he'd just use their internet, not destroy or damage anything. But barely early in this, he was super obsessed with flying. And so uh, I just was read this last night, but he bought an online course called Sporty's Private Pilot Learn to Fly course. And at 17, he like started watching these videos, taught himself to fly. And like within a year, he stole a Cessna, flew over the uh, the North Cascade Mountains and crash landed it successfully, was able to run away. <laughs> he went down to Reno for a while and then he stole other planes and cars and ended up back on the San Juan Islands and uh, stole, stole like a couple more planes, I think, all based on taking Sporty's Learn to Fly course. And uh, the story ends, he actually stole a jet, I believe, flew down down to the Bahamas, and there was this high-speed pursuit in the boat. And so I'm just reading this. I'm like, wow, you know, if an online course can teach you to fly successfully, that's that's pretty impressive. Well, hopefully, yeah, absolutely. That's really cool. Hopefully, the course didn't teach him to steal all these things, though. No, no, definitely not. You know, we talk about... Uh, transformation over information, but I mean, hopefully, the transformation that you're you're helping people do is to not be a, a felon. Right, that's a good point. 
But no, if anyone is interested in this story, there is a great outside magazine article. Just search for the Barefoot Bandit, or uh, I'm actually reading the book that I think is just called the Barefoot Bandit. Well, I'm not sure how to transition there, but that that's a cool story. Um, but I think it's probably time that we move on to our conversation of the day. Is that fair? Sounds good. Neil Benson, podcast listener. Shout out to Neil listening to this. Um, he's one of the people like yourself that's, that's listened to just about every episode of the podcast and has been listening for quite a while. Has his own online course and has been, been fairly successful, but has a lot of plans to grow it even more. A couple years ago, I got a, I got a little package in the mail. And it was a little Lego figure that was that was uh, somewhat looked like me with, with a note from Neil. I didn't know who he was at the time. I think you had briefly like mentioned him on a podcast episode, and that's why he actually sent me the Lego. But he actually sends w- when people finish his course, he'll send he'll send his students these little Legos, and and it's just it's just so fun. It's so mm-hmm. it's so interesting. And if you're a student of his and you get that, I'm sure it's just awesome. I mean. People in my course, I don't necessarily have something I send them when they finish the course, but a lot of people get some physical goods for me. They they love the t-shirt. They love sending me them in the t-shirt at their piano with their workbook, physical workbook at their piano. And I love seeing that too. It's just really cool when we can break through this digital product world a little bit for certain people and send them something physical. And I think Neil wanted to send you one as well. Have you received your Lego yet? Not quite yet. Yeah, I think it, I think he showed me a picture of it. It looks a lot like you, <laughs> nice. Dr. K. So uh, hopefully that comes in soon. But um, Neil teaches a, a he's got a very very uh, very very niche niche like very uh, he's got a very very small potential audience. But sometimes you know that's that can be very successful as well. So as usual, y- you and I, David, will come back and talk about it a little more on the back end. But for now, here is the full conversation between myself and Neil. Hi, Neil. Welcome to the Online Course Show. Thanks, Jack. It's great to be on the show. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> you, were telling me, you were telling me just before we hit record, uh, you think you've listened to every episode of the podcast? That's impressive. Yeah, no, I, I, I love listening to podcasts. I used to listen to them on my commute. Now I listen to them when I'm gardening or doing the dishes or around the house. And uh, yeah, I love your show. And uh, yeah, been a big fan for a long time. So thanks very much for putting all that content out there. Well, yeah, thank you. Thanks for the kind words. And, and I think, I believe you have a podcast of your own. And that's certainly one of the things that I want to talk to you um, about with you and your business. But let's start with just like what your niche is. Like, what is it that you help people to do? Sure. So my name is Neil. I run the Customary Academy and Customary helps Microsoft partners and customers build amazing business applications using an agile approach called Scrum. So that's that's pretty niche, right? Of all the Microsoft, very right. Of all the Microsoft professionals, I'm looking at the ones who build business applications. So that's a subset, and within that set, I'm just looking at the ones who want to take an agile approach. So that's kind of a software development or project management approach, and my favorite is called Scrum. So there's probably a few thousand people in my target market, and I'm here to serve them. A lot of times, when we get that niche down, you can actually end up charging quite a quite a high price because there's there's you know, supply and demand. So do, do you charge a higher price for this? Uh, probably not. My main course sells at $297. So th- that's probably not a, what you'd call a premium price. It's a, a fairly you know, mid mm-hmm. price. Um, it used to be 97 So I've stepped it up a little bit since I started it. Um, my competition, I guess, if people want to learn Scrum, they can go to an official Scrum training class that's typically two days. These days it's online, but it used to be you had to go in person. And 
that costs you know fifteen hundred dollars, so twelve hundred to eighteen hundred dollars, uh, depending upon the trainer. And it takes two days, and you have to go and you know take time away from your business to go and take those classes. So I think I've got a good proposition. Whether or not it's priced at the right price point, um, you know, maybe I need to experiment a little bit more. When people get into uh, and and by the way, from what I know about you so far, you probably want to go higher price, but 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 we'll see. From my experience, when somebody gets into online courses, they've either been teaching this this thing or helping people with this thing professionally for for a while, or it's more of their their hobby. Like for me, I never really I was a piano teacher. Like I just I've, I've always played piano. And it's one thing I knew how to do. And then I created an online course on that topic. It's not something I was already doing professionally. I would guess this is something you've been doing professionally for a while before you turn it into an online course, or maybe not. You tell us. Um, so I've, I've been a developer, developing Microsoft business applications, and then a, an architect and a project leader. And I've been doing that for 15 years. So you know, I still do consulting work today, leading delivery teams, managing development teams, helping clients with estimation of projects and launching those projects. So I have a, a pretty healthy consulting business, and that's 90% of my, my revenue. Um, I've got one technical consultant who works for me. I'm just about to launch another startup with seven other founders. We're doing more or less the same thing. So I've been in that universe for a long time, but I've only been training um, as an online course creator for three years. So it's still still fairly new. I feel still feel like I've got a lot to learn in that space. Yeah, so you... You've worked in this world for for quite a while. What motivated you to want to make an online course? Um, I was working for a, a huge global audit company where there's a very structured career progression, and I couldn't quite see myself getting to that next step on the ladder. So you know, I was being not blocked, but it was very tough to get to get promoted. And I was just looking for other ways to, to boost my income, and in particular, I wanted a way for my family to diversify my income so my wife could get involved in the business. And, uh, and, you know, teaching online seemed to be a good way of sharing my experience. I've been a Microsoft, it's called a Most Valuable Professional Award. So they give out these awards to community contributors who help the Microsoft community out with their experience with blogging or podcasting or videos or speaking at conferences. And I've had that award since 2010. So I've been used to sharing my experience. And this just seemed like a natural progression to go from blogging and speaking at conferences to packaging it up into an online course. And then offering that, there's a free one, and then there's a paid one as well. So when, when's this time frame when you, when you said, okay, I'm going to move forward with an online course, and what were the steps that you took to make it happen? Uh, so this is middle of December 2017. The course launched at the end of the year, so in December 2017. So I was blogging about this topic, about Scrum for Microsoft Business Applications specifically. So I focused my blog articles on this content. For about six months before, collected a few email addresses, launched with a list of a, oh, a couple of hundred people, maybe 200 people in December 2017. And I remember the first couple of sales I made were some friends of mine who bought the course. They got a uh, $50 discount. So they paid $47 for it. And uh, that, that was it. You know, there was enough sales in that first month to egg me on to keep me going. And it's been pretty solid since then. I, I relaunched the course on New Zendler in. October 2019. So that was nearly two years later. And that's helped me up the game a bit more. And yeah, today we, we've got about a thousand students in the paid course and a couple of thousand students in the free course. And yeah, it's growing every month. Wow. That's, that's some impressive numbers, Neil. Um, any regrets? I mean, are you, are you glad that you decided to, to go into this world of digital products? 
Um, I ended up leaving my job at that global audit company, partly because the managing partner that I worked with didn't really uh, enjoy me having this you know, side hustle. And there was a bit of tension there. And yeah, we ended up parting ways. And I'm, I'm out on my own again. So this is customary is the sixth business I have launched. So I keep flipping between paid employment, working for somebody else and running my own thing. And uh, I've realized I'm much better at running my own thing. I'm a terrible employee. So no regrets at all. No, it's, it's amazing. Okay, good. I was wondering where you're going with that regret, but it, you, you wrapped it up nicely with it. No regrets, actually. Um, what's What about just like obstacles, roadblocks? It, was there a time when you're like, ah, I don't, I don't know about this online course thing. It might not be for me. No, I, I never doubted if the path. I've kept on it. But what I do struggle with almost on a daily basis is, you know, what should I do next? I listen to a lot of online course creators, yourself included, and you've got a very you know, well-defined, proven strategy. It's worked really well for your business. Is is my course business the same as yours? Well, not quite. There's some differences in in our target markets and our approaches. But, you know, should I be doing webinars? Should I be building my second course? Should I hire a virtual assistant? Should I keep up with my podcast? Should I do more YouTube? I just, uh, I get torn in lots of different directions and I probably need to just focus a little bit more, do one thing at a time, get it done, experiment, see what the results are like before moving on to the next one, instead of trying five or six things at once and getting, getting nowhere. I mean, I, I've got the same struggle, Neil. I mean, that's, it's, it's shiny object syndrome. Well, it's right. that and, and just overwhelming confusion too. There's so many directions we can go and our time is, is very limited as well. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm working on all kinds of things. And I, I talk about this a lot, but it's the great irony of like the four hour work week is like <laughs> that book is what really got me into this. But now, you know, these days I'm kind of working like a crazy person just because I've got so many ideas, so many initiatives. Like I, you know, I have a podcast and I have multiple YouTube channels that are getting a little bit neglected. I've got multiple courses, multiple brands, I've got a team. It's like, where should my attention actually be focused most? And what, what are, what are some things that you're, you're trying to help rein in that focus. Um, I don't know. I haven't cracked it yet, Jack. I wish I had. <laughs> um, I've, I've taken a couple of courses about how to build better courses. So I took Amy Porterfield's Digital Course Academy. I think she's got a, a, a good approach. It's based on, on a closed cart launch on a periodic basis. I have never used that. I've always had an evergreen approach to my course. So I haven't followed Amy's path uh, faithfully. Um, I was a mentee within Brian Harris's Growth University, and I got, learned some great lessons there. One of the big lessons I really need to act upon that I learned in in that uh, mentorship was a good path for me is probably to sell through other partners. So instead of trying to build my own audience all of the time, find other people or businesses who have an audience and partner with them. So, for example, in the Microsoft world, a lot of um, businesses buy their software through a Microsoft software distributor. Those distributors offer training to Microsoft partners. Well, maybe I could piggyback on that training and offer my course as part of their training bundle. In fact, mm-hmm. I did that with one Australian partner last year, and that was really successful. We did, um, we did five training classes for about 20 students, and that was really successful. Most of them ended up getting certified in Scrum, and you know the results were really good. And I only had to sell once to the Microsoft software distributor and they did the the job of inviting all their partners on board. So I need to do more of that, I think. What is, what is your biggest traffic source at this point? Is that it? 
Um, I, no, I'd say without a doubt, it's LinkedIn. So I did a lot of outreach on LinkedIn and that's been a good traffic source for me. However, I did try advertising on LinkedIn with LinkedIn paid ads. I experimented with two different ads, about $1,000. I got 31 leads and no sales. So probably not quite, I don't remember it was the creative, maybe it was the message, but that didn't, didn't quite work for me. What I do on LinkedIn is I post a certificate of completion for every student who completes my free course. And we'll have about a 50% completion rate there for a free course. That's pretty good. And for my paid course, it's slightly higher, probably 60, 70% completion rate. And I post those certificates of completion in LinkedIn. And then I tag the student and I tag the company that they work for. And that means that people in their network get to find out that they've completed this course and achieved the certification. So um, that brings a little bit of viral buzz into my network and into my business. And I also do direct outreach on LinkedIn. So I've got, I don't know, 25,000 connections on LinkedIn. And I'll message some of those you know, every day and say, hey, look, uh, here's my podcast or here's my free course. And just welcome them into taking an agile approach. I'm curious the, the response rate on that because I'm on LinkedIn. I don't use it very much. And with you, I, I understand that that sounds like a great platform for you. I mean, given the, the, the nature of your niche, Scrum for Microsoft business applications, it, sounds, it just sounds like it would be a good fit on yeah. uh, LinkedIn versus something like Piano. But people are constantly reaching out to me like, offering services, SEO, web design, or pitching to come on the podcast, like constantly. So you are one of those people that are like reaching, doing outreach, pitching people different things. Yep. What kind of uh, success rate, like response rate are you getting with that? I'm reasonably good. So I'm pitching to people who are in my niche, first of all. I'm, I'm in this yeah. industry as well. So I'm not, I'm not a vendor you know, pitching web design services. I get pitched a lot of coaching services on LinkedIn. I'm, you know, I'm a practitioner. I'm in the trenches. These are my peers. And I'm fortunate enough that I've been on the speaker circuit, the conferences for long enough that, that I have a bit of a reputation as well. So people know me and know my specialty and know my content, which is, which is great. So it's a, quite a soft message. And I'm not selling anything. I don't pitch my paid course. I don't pitch any paid products. It's, hey, I've got, I've got a great um, podcast episode you might be interested in, or I've got a great free course that you know, teaches the basics. I thought you might be interested in that. And if they take it up, great. If they don't, you know, I'll, I'll reach out to them another time in, in six months or a year. Um, I'm, not, I'm not bombarding them with messages. So your brand name is Customary. Yes. How does that relate to Scrum for Microsoft Business Applications? So I was working for a, a business back in London who rebranded as Outsourcery. So they did, they wanted to outsource your IT. So they took the word outsource and landed a Y on the end. I thought that was quite clever. And I specialize in um, customer relationship management. That's the type of business applications uh, that you know, my background is in. So CRM, it's known as. And so I want to help you get closer to your customers. Um, and just like my wife feels Christmassy in December, I feel customery all year round. <laughs> so so that's, where, that's where the name came from. And it's a misspelling. Obviously, there's customary which with an A in it. So I have to clarify the spelling all the time. But it's pretty easy. You know, if I'm reading it out, it's just the word customer yeah. with a Y on the end. You'll hear, that. You'll hear that a lot if you listen to my podcast. So yeah, it works. It's reasonably short. And the domain name, .com, .co.uk, .com.au, we're all available. So um, yeah, that's, that's how that one started. Well, you've got the logo uh, very nicely behind you on the video that I'm looking at. And I didn't I was I didn't know if it had to do with the word custom or or what, but now it's very clear to me that it's customer with a Y. 
And so thanks for, yeah. thanks for explaining that. Now, along with your brand, tell me what is the deal with the Legos? Uh, so I was just looking for a way to illustrate um, some really complex concepts in Scrum. You know, we work with teams, there's a product, we're working in sprints. And I just wanted a way of illustrating these things in graphics or, you know, with some kind of designs. And uh, I saw somebody else posted a picture of a business meeting with Scrum, you know, uh, sorry, with Lego, the little minifigures sitting around a table. I thought, that's amazing. I could do that. So I, I you know, dove into my kids' Lego boxes, pulled out some superheroes. So we've got the Scrum Master, who's Superman's, so the initials match. Um, we've got the person who's got the vision for the application that we're building. They're called the product owner. So that's Wonder Woman in, in my world, because most of the amazing product owners I've worked with have been Wonder Woman. And yeah, we've got the Scrum team of you know, Spider-Man and Batman and Robin are all in there. And it's just a really fun way of illustrating these concepts. So my kids get to help me build it. I can buy Lego through my business, which is a wonderful tax write-off. The kids <laughs> love that. And I've just become known for this kind of fun way of illustrating some pretty dry, boring, well, not boring, but you know, dry, obtuse kind of concepts with Lego. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Well, I'm wearing my Lego t-shirt today. And, yeah. And my yeah. understanding is that, I don't know if you still do this, but you physically send out like a Lego figure to your students? Oh, that's a secret. Oh, no. no. Should, uh, yeah. Um, no. <laughs> should we, so, cut, the, yeah. Should we <laughs> cut that out or are we good? <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. So any the students who complete my course and then uh, fill in the feedback survey at the end, the last question I ask them is just, there's, there's a secret gift coming your way if you give me your address and I mail off a Lego figure to them. So I look up their LinkedIn profile. I try and match the Lego face and hair to what they look like. Um, and then I give them a, you know, a pair of colored legs. And off it goes in, in the mail. So it's a little customary branded um, Lego minifigure. And those end up getting photographed and then posted on LinkedIn. Yeah. People really enjoy receiving them. And I, I'm amazed. I thought it was maybe quite polarizing, something you know as playful as Lego. I thought maybe a lot of serious Microsoft people wouldn't really appreciate it, but everybody seems to enjoy Lego. I've never had a negative comment about it. So, And people love getting the Lego minifigures. So it's really worked. Well, it's different. It's very different. And you sent me one couple of years ago, I went, I checked yeah. the mail and I'm like, what is this? I didn't, I, I, I didn't know who you were. And, uh, and I think you were just, you know, saying thanks for the podcast. Uh, but I was blown away, man. So th- thanks again for that. It's, it's been a couple of years now since I, since I saw that, but, but such a unique thing. And I think it's so cool that you send that to the people that go through your course. Well, that was David Crozy's fault. In fact, I probably should have sent it to him because <laughs> yes. uh, there was a, he mentioned a book that I've never read by the love languages mm-hmm. and Gifting, I think, is one of the languages of love. And he, he mentioned my Lego figure. And I don't know where he heard about it. But yeah, he mentioned it on the podcast. So I thought I'd send you guys a Lego figure. But I probably should have sent it straight to David. Yeah, well, David, David's going to hear this. And he's going he's gonna to be like, I need a Lego. I, I know him. And he's going to want a Lego. So maybe I can get... In fact, I think I have his address. So maybe I can send it to you. And if you don't mind, I'm sure David would really appreciate a Lego. Of course, of course. All right, man. So... You mentioned uh, New Zendler, and I've heard, I've heard right. a few people using it. I included it in my review, uh, my last episode of 2020, where I reviewed a lot of course platforms, and I don't have any direct experience with it, but my very high-level assessment was it's one of these do-everything platforms, but it's still kind of early on, so it doesn't do everything super well, but if you're interested, you know, it might be worth checking out because you can get in now at, at a pretty, pretty good discount compared to other 
platforms. Right. Is that, from your experience, is that a fair assessment of New Zindler? Yeah, I think it's fair. It, it is. It does represent itself as an all-in-one platform. So it does a lot of things that some specialist course platforms don't do. For example, it's got marketing funnels and uh, it's got uh, email capabilities built into it. I don't happen to use those very much, but I um, I came to it from Teachable, right? So Teachable, you know, it's a, it's a much smaller footprint in terms of its capability. And what I loved most about Newsender was the reaction from their development team. So there's um, they're headquartered in London, I think, and they, they've got developers worldwide, but they're, they've got a great Facebook group for the people who use Newsender. And they're really reactive to fixing bugs, to launching small features and massive features as well. So um, the pace at which they do that is just blown Teachable away. I was really frustrated with Teachable's lack of development. And yeah, sure, I don't. I always used ConvertKit, so I kept ConvertKit for my email. I used Deadline Funnel because the countdown timer in Newsender isn't quite what I want. It doesn't um, can't show it in an email message, which you can with Deadline Funnel. So I think I took up your affiliate link for Deadline Funnel and for Bonjour. So there's a couple of other tools I use as well. And yeah, other than that, it's it's a very broad set. It's got webinars built in with the Zoom integration. And I pay less than half of what I used to pay on Teachable. Okay. So yeah, how it's a good are you, deal. Thanks for using my affiliate links, by the way. How, how are you using Bonjoro? So I send a personal message to everybody who joins one of my courses. So I've got my free course. I've got my paid course. I've got two wait lists for future courses. And I just got the wait list to see which one's most popular. But most people sign up for both. So that hasn't helped me decide which one to launch next. And I also send a personal video to anybody who completes the course as well. And then during the message, I'll just say a welcome to the community. It's great to have you on board. Don't forget to follow my page on LinkedIn, or don't forget to share your certificate or you know, whatever whatever achievement they've, they've made. And that's worked really well. The feedback I get from those is, is amazing. Yeah, people really Very enjoy positive, receiving those. Right? Yeah. You're still using that for all of your new students as well? Absolutely. Almost every day, man. It's, it's very important to me and, and my people really enjoy it. I was talking to somebody at Bonjoro the other day. They were, they were doing like a case study on, on the way I use Bonjoro. And it was interesting because it sounds like the, the main use case that they see for Bonjoro is, is kind of setting up some automations to where at a certain point in the customer journey, there's a trigger. And that's when you know you should send somebody a Bonjoro video to try to get them over the top to make the sale. Whereas right. me and you, we're using it the same way, is that we're sending the Bonjoro after the sale has been made to say thank you, right? And yeah. so yeah. I looked into my account. I've sent over 4,000 Bonjoros at this point. And he asked me like wow. what my open rate was on my Bonjoros. And I had no idea. And I looked at it and it was 91%. Wow. That's well, yours is probably very similar. You should, you should check one day. And he, he, was like, yeah. he was like, what? And and he didn't believe me. And so he got into my account and he's like, holy smokes, this is the highest open rate I've ever seen. But you gotta you gotta put it in context. Like it's my people have already purchased. I usually send it within the first 24 hours of them purchasing. So it's a it's a very welcome message. Like they they're probably not gonna be as excited about me as they are when they when they make that purchase. You know, even a week later, they might be ready for a refund or sick of me. But I think that's why uh, the Bonjoro <laughs> yeah. is is so well received, and I'd I'd imagine it's it's the same for you. Yeah, my open rates they're not ninety percent, but I think they're north of sixty, maybe seventies, low seventies, which is really good. I probably need to tweak the subject line a little bit, um, 
But the team at Bonjour have been really good. There's one thing I just wish they were able to do, and that is in my automation. So I'm using Zapier to trigger the Bonjour task. And I would love to be able to configure the message that should go in the little email from Bonjour in Zapier. So I've got a welcome message, welcome to the customer academy. And then I've got a congratulations message. I really only use those two, but I have to, I have to look it up before I start recording and I have to remember exactly which course, you know, and the, the message goes out. Um, sometimes I've sent the wrong message to somebody. I've said congratulations when I should have said welcome. Or, but, you know, apart from that, it's, it's really good. I, in my trial period with Bonjour, I got a sale on the first day. So a welcome message for a student in my free course converted into a paid student on my paid course. And so that was a really easy decision for me to sign up with Bonjour. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're doing things like that. That's the type of thing that I want to see course creators doing and making this more personal, even though things like that don't scale as well. You also mentioned deadline funnel, but you also mentioned, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, you took Amy Porterfield's course and you didn't necessarily subscribe to her model of, I guess you were talking about live launches perhaps, but I think when I went to your website, I could buy your course at any time. So I'm a little confused at where Deadline Funnel comes in. So I use, you're quite right. Amy, her model is uh, live launches. She launches her own course, the Digital Course Academy, twice a year, I think. And she preaches that message using lots of webinars, you know, around a couple of weeks in a calendar, open up your cart and make lots of money a couple of times a year. I prefer, I had an evergreen model before that and I've stuck with that. I haven't switched over. I may do live launches for future courses, but today my courses are available anytime somebody's ready to sign up. And that's just, I think for me, there are my audience, my crew, there's people out there starting a new project with a new customer any day of the week. I can't tell them when to start a project and I want them to be able to take my training when when their business is ready for it at the point at which they're going to do that. And I don't want to constrain it around a couple of times a year just to help me launch more courses. So it's evergreen, but the free course is a kind of, it's almost an evergreen webinar. It's about 45 minutes of training content in that free course. And then there's like a 10 minute introduction to my paid course and the benefits of it and what you get inside and how to sign up for it in the last 10 minutes of that free course. And then there's a few more educational emails and then there's an offer which is a $100 discount if you purchase within the next three or four days. And that all is managed in Deadline Funnel. I see. And so I, yeah, so I'm getting a pretty reasonable conversion off that process. So it's based on when they start the free course. Right. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's one of the main goals that you have for people when they visit your site is to get them to sign up for the free course, which is kind of like a, a free opt-in of sorts. And that's when the, right. the deadline... Uh, funnel timer starts for them, but it's not like they won't be able to buy it after the deadline for you. It's a hundred dollar discount. That's right. Yeah. So it's a little discount if you sign up within, I think it's four days of, of the offer being made. So everybody who's finished the course within previous week, they, they get a, a couple of warm up pitches saying there's going to be a special offer, check your yeah. inbox. And then Monday comes around, they get the special offer. It's got a hundred dollar discount. It says, Hey, it expires on Friday. And there's a couple of emails that week. Like one is, Here's some text to help you pitch this to your manager if you need approval <laughs> so you can get your training reimbursed. And uh, yeah, just a couple of uh, pitch messages during the week. And then it, the cart closes or the special offer closes on the Friday afternoon. And so I learned all of that from Brennan Dunn. I don't know if you're familiar with Brennan from Double Your Freelancing. 
and he has been on the um, Pat Flynn show, and he's got a course called Mastering Convert Kit, which is really yeah. like next level course on on Convert Kit, really deep, like lots of coding, liquid, and just went way over my head. I took the course and then said, "Hey, Brennan, I I can't implement this. I don't have the technical skills." But within his course community, I found an email marketing expert who was leveling up, taking Brennan's course, had great copywriting skills, and so I hired him to implement Brennan's system in my business um, through that free course, pitching into the paid course. And so we set all that up and we got all the copy written for that. And that's, that's worked pretty well. I'm about to call you out on something, Neil. You right. said you listen to every episode. Big fan. You know, Brennan Dunn's been on the podcast. Brennan Dunn yes. has been on your podcast. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That was recently, recently too. You probably are just, I mean, it sounds like you're a course junkie and you're probably a podcast junkie too. So I, I am as well. And like you get, you start to get confused at like who was where this and that, you know what you know, so yeah, I just looked it up. One fifty-two. Brennan Dunn's a great guy, and yeah, mastering ConvertKit. And, I, and you mentioned that that's what you're using, even though New Zendler does the emails. You're still using ConvertKit. Yeah, I don't think New Zendler's email capabilities certainly not. They're not up there with ConvertKit, and I don't think I could have implemented this system in New Zendler's email. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're using a deadline funnel, and it sounds like it is effective. You know, you're probably aware, like with my piano course, it isn't available to buy just from the from the website, right? And you have to enter the funnel. And then I use deadline funnel within the funnel. A lot of people aren't comfortable with that or don't think it's right for their particular business model. Like you said, like you want people when they need it to be able to get it easily. And so I think that your approach is a fine one. I think those are the two ways to do it. If you're not comfortable with removing the ability for somebody to buy the course from your site, then you can still use all the same concepts, but the incentive to buy within the funnel is the discount rather than it just being available or not available. So it sounds like that's uh, yeah. that's working for you. I'm curious if you know if you sell more discounted courses or regular price courses. I sell more regular really? price courses. I know that for a fact, okay. yeah. But I, I was really skeptical about Deadline, not Deadline Funnel, the software, but the concept of, of fake scarcity. I listened to your podcast. I remember this one. I can't remember his name, but the founder from... Deadline Funnel was on your show and just explained it in a really clear and simple way that I have a duty to my audience to help them make a purchasing decision. If they don't, they're going to miss out on my training, they're going to miss out on the benefits that that will bring to them and their professional career. So I have an obligation to help them make that decision and make it today. So um, that tripped me over. I was like, okay, I got to sign up for Deadline Funnel. And again, I used your affiliate link for that and implemented that in my business. And it, it works uh, quite a lot of the time. I'd say it's quite polarizing. There's, there's definitely some students who unsubscribe during that pitch period. And I, I, got, I definitely got some pushback initially when I implemented it, that the marketing messages were over the top. And so I, I changed the copy and dialed it right back. And it's worked really well. In fact, I get a lot of compliments now on my marketing. And, but I still got a lot of people who either come straight into the paid course or take the free course and upgrade to the paid course before I even pitch them. So yeah, most of my sales, my paid course are still direct without people coming through that funnel. Very good. Um, so I was yep. talking about the simplicity of your website and I like that. I mean, I'm, I'm at customary.com. Very, very good, you know, big, bold headline. Um, very simple. There's only two menu items, listen and learn. Right. So you have a podcast. I'm guessing that's where the, the listen takes me. Um, and then right. 
if I scroll down a little bit, there's also a call to action that says, take my free mini course today. So that's, we've been talking about the mini course a little bit, but if I click on learn, that takes me over to customary.academy. So this, I'm guessing this right. is a New Zendler page. That's right. It is. It's the homepage from New Zendler. So all my courses are displayed there. Um, so there's a thumbnail for right. each one. There's probably five or six. So there's the main paid course. There's an audio version of that. So some people aren't ready to make a $297 commitment. Mm. So there's, there's just the pure audio for $29. There's a Mythbusters game, which nobody has ever bought. That's just a bonus that I, I ship with some of the other courses. And in order to make that bonus look valuable, I sell it for $49 on the homepage as well. Uh, and then there's the free course. And then there's a couple of future courses that are waitlisted. Okay, got it. Thanks for that explanation. Okay. Is your, yeah. are, are you, are you B to, I'm guessing you're B to B and not B to C. I bet at both. So I'm selling a lot of the times to individual students, but they're all professionals. Some of them are able to get the training expense reimbursed from their employer, whether that's a Microsoft customer or Microsoft partner business. Some of them, however, are freelancers and they're you know, spending their own money. So it's a mixture of B2B and B2C. And then if you want to take my paid course as a team, I also have a team edition. Mm. So five enrollments for $9.97. And so a manager can sign up, get their team enrolled at a slight discount. And that includes one hour of coaching as well. So I've made a few of those sales this month, which is, which is great. And I've got to focus on that this year is getting teams enrolled by outreach to Microsoft partners and customers and through these Microsoft software distributors as well. I don't have a lot of, of B2B experience, meaning business to business. And especially on the piano side, I'm, I'm selling directly to the person that wants to learn how to play piano. It's very far from B2B, but I do get a fair amount of people coming to me and saying, hey, how would you, how would you do things differently if it was more B2B? Like any, any tips for, for, for more B2B stuff? Like what, what's your take on that as somebody who's kind of in B2B? Like what, what's different about it that we need to worry about? Um, so where the audience hangs out, I think is, is different. I've had zero success with, for example, a Facebook group. I just had no engagement <laughs> on there at all. There are a couple of Microsoft uh, Facebook groups in my community, but they're very technical, like super technical questions. And then there's a whole lot of other technical forums as well, where people want to talk about, you know, how do I get this feature enabled or how do I implement this or how do I resolve this error that I'm getting? And again, it's a very technical content. Not a lot of people talking about how to manage the project. So I haven't found a great place for that yet. And, you know, in terms of somebody else's community or, or a community online where I can introduce myself. So I'm having to build my own and LinkedIn groups. Unfortunately, it's been a big failure as well. LinkedIn seems to be trying to kill the groups feature. What's been working for me recently is having my LinkedIn company page and, you know, posting regular content of mine and others in there. Because that's very easy to share. People can follow that company page really easily. They can engage on the content really easily and, and uh, that gets some viral spread, which is good. Downside is they can't start a new post on there. They can only comment on one of my posts. But I could invite up to 10 other people in so I could get a little you know, leadership community of people posting in there if I wanted to. So that's what I'm trying next. The direct messaging on LinkedIn is working. Um, I haven't tried Facebook ads or Google ads yet. Um, I have no idea how those would go for a business to business setting. Well, maybe, maybe once you find success there, you can come back on, on, on share that. Cause I think there is a fair amount of people that, that are, are B2B and, and that's not necessarily my strength. Um, all right. So 
let's say I'm I'm in your niche, I'm in your market, following you. I decide I want to I want to go all in. I buy the the Scrum for Microsoft Business Apps course, the paid course, and you know the next day I get a Bonjoro from you. I can log into the site and take the course. Like, wh- what else is there? Is there is there any interaction with you? Bonuses? Like, what's the course experience like for your students? A uh, great question. So I'm trying to create a, a great course experience, obviously for my students, so that they will you know, give me a good rating. They'll share it with their teammates. And I do get quite a bit of that referral business as well. So uh, there's two, two price plans for an individual. There's the 297 price plan. So they get the course. It includes a couple of bonuses like the Mythbusters game. Um, they get a annotated Scrum guide. So this is a, the Scrum guide is like the official version of Scrum. And you need to know that pretty well in order to pass the third-party exam. So I give you my annotated Scrum Guide with all my study notes in the margins, highlighting which bits you need to learn. And you get a practice exam for that scrum.org professional Scrum Master exam as well. And I've recently um, revamped that. So um, it's a really close experience you know, for the, for the uh, real exam. And you get a little bit of community. I, get, I don't get a lot of engagement in the New Zender community, but I do get people leaving comments on the lessons. And so I'll respond in there. So, for example, somebody responded this week saying, oh, the only captions I can get for this video are in French. What's going on? And, of course, I had to respond, sacre bleu. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) uh, I'll go and fix that. And uh, what else to do? So, there's then some follow-up emails. Every time there's uh, six sections, every time you complete a section, you get a well done. Here's what you've learned. It's in the next section. Click here to start that one. And then they get the certificate at the end and they can take the practice exam. We share that on LinkedIn. We celebrate the success. And they're also, at the same time, they're getting any uh, podcast episodes or blog articles or any other interesting news that I've got to share as well. So they're on my subscription list. And then there's the ultimate version, which all that same stuff, plus an hour of coaching as well. And it includes the fee for the third-party certification exam. So it's a $150 exam fee. So I, I buy them a credit for that and send that to them. And yeah, so both of those cohorts come through really well. Very good satisfaction ratings. I think I've had one four. Everybody else has been five stars. And yeah, really you know, enjoy that student feedback. That is good. So I know that um, I know my student is successful. You know, the best way for me to know is if I see a video of them actually playing piano, playing a song on the piano. To me, if they just if I follow the back end of their account and see that they went through every lesson, that's not student success, right? But if I can see them playing piano, now I can now I can measure that. Now I can call them a success. What is a successful student uh, for you? So for me, I'm trying to help people prepare for the Scrum.org Professional Scrum Master Level One Certification. So the students that, who that just sounded like a bunch of course. gobbledygook, by the way. <laughs> right. Okay. So. Uh, you might you know, be familiar with Pat Flynn's origin story. He, he taught people how to pass the lead green building sure, certification yeah. exam. So mine's kind, of, mine's kind of similar. So I help people prepare for somebody else's exam. And it's a, it's a recognized, well-known industry exam. So it's gobbledygook anybody outside the industry, which is fair. And if they pass that certification, that's a great measure of success for me. So I ask them to let me know when they've achieved that exam. And then I... I take their LinkedIn profile photograph, their certificate, and I post that on my channels on LinkedIn and within our community to celebrate that success. And yeah, that's, that's really heartwarming. I've had 
believe we had almost 100 students now have achieved that professional Scrum Master certification. So that, that's a, a pretty good rate. And some of them pass it and don't tell me, or, you know, I, I just, it's very hard for me to confirm that they've taken that, that exam. Yeah, that's a good measure for me. Well, good. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like you're, you're having success. Your students are having success. I mean, if we could go a little higher level, like, what does this mean to you? Like, what, it, what does it mean to you to have a successful online course? And, and you can stay high level, or if you have any like specific stories of something that's allowed you to do, I always like to hear about like the, the whys behind what we're doing. Yeah. So I've got a personal reason why, and it's just, it's to allow me and my family to live and work in different places. So I met my wife, she's from Brisbane here in Australia, but I met her in Scotland uh, 20 years ago. And we lived in London for 12 or 13 years. Then we moved to California. We lived in just outside Los Angeles for three years. And now we're in Brisbane. And we'd love to travel more to the back to those places to catch up with friends and family, maybe for a year or two at a time. And so it's very hard for me to run a consulting business where I have to be in person with a lot of clients. I'd love to have a course business where I can work like you, you know, for 15 minutes a day and, and I get to travel the world and bring my family along with me. That would be great. And it would also allow me to, if I can figure out how to make it work, I can earn revenue that isn't directly tied to my time that I put into it. Now, I'm very lucky as a consultant. I've got a lot of experience. I'm reasonably well regarded, so I can charge a premium consulting fee, um, which is which is you know I'm very grateful to be in that position. But it's capped. I can only work for about forty hours a week for clients, and if I want to increase my revenue, I got to work more hours, and I don't want to do that. So I want to back that down so we can travel and earn a good you know, income from the course business. But for my students and my for my community. I've had the time of my life since I switched to this agile approach in 2008. My projects have been far less stressful, far more successful. Um, I've had lots of my team members come up and say to me, this is the best project I've ever worked on. This is the defining moment of my career. Um, I've got to teach every, I've got to tell everybody about this approach. And that's so heartwarming. I've had clients who have had success with this approach where they failed once or twice before trying to get a, trying to get an application built and live. I've had my clients promoted as a result of that success, and they've gone to, on to have great careers. So all of that you know, is, is massively heartwarming as a professional, and, and that's the, really the reason why I do it. The income is you know, a nice side effect of all of that. Yeah, very good. There's, there's a lot of takeaways from what you just said. You know, one of my top takeaways is, so, so you're Scottish originally. I'm originally Northern Irish. I've been trying to nail down your exact accent. So I'm like, wait, this isn't Australian, but it's like, it's not English either. So it's, 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 it's originally Northern Ireland, but also like a combination of everywhere you've, you've lived over the course of your life. Yeah. So I'm a little bit of a chameleon when it comes to accents and I pick up a little bit from everywhere I've lived. So originally from Northern Ireland, I left there when I was 18, went to yeah, university in Edinburgh in Scotland, lived there for seven or eight years and in London. And as I've moved around, I've had to soften my accent a little bit more and more to, just to be understood. And I took some speaking um, lessons with a, a local vocal coach recently to improve my podcast and everything else. And I learned that I'd been pronouncing my own name wrong for the last 40 years, which was rather embarrassing. Um, but yeah, so I've had to work on my accent a little bit just to be understood by as many people as possible. With your first name? Yeah. So in, in Northern Ireland, it would be very flat vowel, one syllable, Neil. My name is Neil Benson. And... 
when I moved to Australia, they, there's, there's definitely two syllables in there. So it's Neil. And I guess that, that works better for Americans and, and British people as well. So Neil Benson rather than Neil Benson. Well, there you, there you go. I never yeah. do. <laughs> you're, you're, looking at me, you're looking at me like, what are you talking about? You can't even say your own name, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, one thing I've noticed about Australians and their accent is like even the word no, like N-O, some, they'll put two syllables in that. It's like no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I think that's more Australian than, than American. I, it's, I would probably pronounce it somewhere in the middle. But that is somewhat of a tangent now. So, man, thanks for sharing all that. You just mentioned the podcast uh, there, but yet you didn't mention the podcast earlier when I asked you about traffic sources. So how new is the podcast? What's the motivation behind having a podcast and how's it going? So there was a friend of mine um, had a podcast on Libsyn and it was great. And he had me on as a guest, not again. And then he, he branched out and some other people in our community launched podcasts on his network. And so I launched one on there called Scrum Dynamics. I had a co-host. We did about 20 episodes together, and then it was solo. I did a lot of interviews, did about 50 shows on that network over two years. And for about the last nine months, I've gone out on my own and I've relaunched it as Amazing Applications. And it's all about helping Microsoft customers and partners build amazing applications. So I do some solo shows and interviews on there um, to share the story of how to build um, great business apps. And it's it's pretty good. You know, we got a couple of hundred downloads per episode, which in our niche is pretty happy with that. And I get some great feedback from it. A lot of the people I reach out to on LinkedIn say, "Yeah, I already, already listened to your show. Or I love that episode." How much of a traffic source it is for my courses? I'm not quite sure. I don't I don't have a good way of tracking it. I probably should use a a special tracking URL or something. Um, but I do mention the courses occasionally on the show. And one of the things I love to do on the show is a student shout out. So. If somebody has passed their exam, I'll give them a shout out and say, hey, you know, well done to Jack Hopkins uh, from Louisiana for passing my course and, and getting the Scrum certification. Um, Jack signed up a few weeks ago on the Ultimate Package and he's done really well. Well done, Jack, for crushing it. That kind of shout out. And yeah, that's, it's been good fun. I just love doing it. Yeah, I like that. Are you, are you pitching your maybe free course in, in each podcast episode? Not in every one, maybe one in four, I'll mention it. Um, other times I'm mentioning conferences that are coming up, you know, just trying to be a good promoter of other content in the community, not necessarily always my content. Okay. So now as a course creator yourself, Neil, what, what advice do you have for, for other people looking to, to be a course creator themselves, having gone through this process, doing it for, I guess, a little over three years now, what's your advice to aspiring course creators? Um, first of all, go for it. A lot of the um, hangups that people have are just about getting started, getting that first course out there. I know you've revised your piano course many times, Jack, and I'm sure when you look back on that first version of it, it's you know it's it's not up to the standards that you have today. And I'm the same. I keep having to level up my audio, my video. I've made some more investments in my home studio, and I, I love that. I love continually learning how to build better content, how to engage better with students, how to market more successfully. But you have to get started in order to start learning. So get on, get on there. Don't wait until you know the, the moons are in perfect alignment. It'll never be the perfect time, but you can make today the right time. So go and get started, and then just keep leveling up. Listen to listen to the Jack podcast, and uh, <laughs> and you'll learn a lot of valuable information. Thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, just going to get like not focusing on perfection, getting something out there, and then constantly leveling up, taking things to the next level. As you know, that's that's what I'm about too. So I think that's well said. 
So probably the last thing I have for you is just like, where do you see this going? What's, what's your future plans for your online course business? So for the longest time, I've had another course in mind and that's um, sketched out. I've outlined that. I'm debating whether or not at the moment to hire an outside team to produce that for me rather than me shoot the video at home, edit it and produce it. Um, you know, I've got a reasonable setup here, but I can't do any kind of graphics in, in video. I, don't know, I just don't want to have to learn that stuff. So I'm debating at the moment whether to find a local videographer and a team to produce that or whether I should shoot the raw video and send it overseas, you know, somebody on Upwork or something. Love to get your thoughts on that, Jack, and because I know you've revised yours several times. Are you still doing all of that yourself? And yeah, I've got to get that out this year. It's been, I should have launched it last year when I had some time in between projects. So I've got to get on it. That's my mission at the moment is to do a quick revision of my Scrum course because there's been some updates to that in the Scrum guide. And then I get on get onto the new course and launch that this year. Quite a different plan. I'm going to do live launches. It's going to be a team only. So you can't join as an individual a student and it's going to be a much higher price point. That's the, the plan for 2021. Sounds like a good plan. My, my advice to you, Neil, would be to record the video yourself and then find a non-local video editor. I mean, I guess, I guess it could be local, but when you when you look non-local, you have just so many more candidates out there. And, and as you know, I'm a right. huge fan of Upwork for finding somebody like that. And that's the process I do. I mean, I'm looking at you right now and your your video setup is phenomenal. Your lighting is good. You obviously have a great camera. And so you're you're clearly capable of recording good video, but I'm the same as you in terms of like I don't I'm not I'm not a great video editor. I, I'm competent, but I'm not great at it, and I don't want to do it either. And while I mean, I I now that my studio is set up, like it's easy for me to just hit record and save those files, it would take hours and hours and hours to actually produce the videos. So you can find somebody for eight, twelve, twenty, thirty dollars an hour when your time might be worth one, two, three hundred dollars an hour focusing on what you do. You you Neil, the owner of Customary, this person that's got a thousand per people in his paid course, a thousand person people in the free course, that is an authority in this little niche should not be editing videos. Right. Like, no, I will slap you on the, I'll come down to Brisbane and slap you on the wrist, man. That's, that's unacceptable. Okay. So don't edit your own videos. I will let you record your own because that's a different ball game, but I would highly encourage you to find, I mean, it's easier said than done because you don't have anybody yet. I've got somebody on my team that does that now, but I would highly encourage you to find that person and outsource it. So what, what advice do you have for finding that person? Should I one of the things I've thought of doing, I think I might've heard this on your show as well, is to maybe give the job to three or four video editors who look reasonably competent, you know, interview them and, and check out their previous work, but don't rely on one person, give it to three or four, let them all come back with a finished product, use whichever one is best, and then continue to work with that person. It's a way of mitigating the risk, I guess, and, and making sure I can get good quality product in a reasonable amount of time. Is that a sensible Yes, approach? it is. That's, that's one possible approach or tactic. And you got to keep in mind, it depends on if we're talking about like a one-off project or if you're looking for somebody more consistent, long-term part of your team. Because um, if it's just one project, I'm going to I'm gonna handle finding that person a little differently. Whereas if, if it's somebody going to be sticking around for a while, I think for you, you could probably start with, hey, you, you pick which course that you want to film next. And then you've got all this raw footage. And then create create a, a job on Upwork and explain that it's, you know, 
eight hours of footage or whatever it's going to be, but that yeah. you're going to select three of the, three people to edit the first two lessons. And, and then whoever does the best will, will get the job for, for the right. rest of them. I think that'd be the best approach. And then you could evaluate in real time on an actual project, quality of work, but not just that, like communication, like ability, like to me, it's more than yeah. just the final product. Like how good are they to work with? Um, and even if they can like see your vision and want to help other people as well, that's ideal. I'm working with somebody on Upwork on, on a fun little project right now. And um, he's helping me develop some uh, backing tracks for my students. And he's doing a phenomenal job. And one of the samples that he sent me, I posted in my student community for feedback. And there's like 50 comments saying how amazing it is. And I took a screenshot of that and sent it to him. And he was like, man, that's amazing. It's so great to see that my work is, is helping other people. Yeah, great. Okay. I like that advice. Thanks very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Neil, thank you so much for, for being a part of the audience and listening to this podcast and, and for your support and then for coming on uh, to this episode of the podcast. So it's been a pleasure on my side. Good luck to you. And let me know if there's anything I can uh, help with down the road. Yeah, thanks, Jack. And, and thanks, David. I know you'll be listening. <laughs> so I really appreciate all the content that you guys have put out there. And to anybody else, you know, I just say, let's get started. Um, Jack has had some amazing guests with you know six and seven figure course businesses, but I hope I'm proof that you can start with a side hustle and and work it out. You know, it's um, it's fun. There's a lot, a little bit of money to be made, and you can you know just help people, other people in their careers or in their hobbies, and uh, go and get started. Right on. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Jack. Dr. K, welcome back. That was Neil Benson. Thank you. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, I really enjoy just hearing Neil's story. And, uh, you know, the main thing that I just want to talk about is up to this point, a lot of the listeners might have felt like Neil and you were talking about gobbledygook. Um, I would say that this scrum, this agile, um, this is something that we all use and we just haven't, it didn't really get broken down, like how relevant this is to a course creator. So I wanted to chat a little bit about that. Um, so I came into contact with this idea of agile and scrum. Just whenever somebody comes into my practice, I want to learn about what they're into. And so I'd have these developers come in and I'd have them talk to me about how their job works. Um, these are guys that program, uh, they program like GPS units for like John Deere tractors, let's say. And so they told me that there's these two styles of development. Like for years, it was something called waterfall. And then they said that more recently, they, they'd switched to agile development and they explained it to me. And then it was so great. Anytime a developer came in after that, I would actually ask them sometime in the first or second visit, I'd be like, so, uh, you know, does, does your team over there program in waterfall or agile? <laughs> and these guys, their, their heads would whip around. They, they just look incredulous. They'd be like, what the heck does a chiropractor know about developing, you know, computer software? So let me just break down a little bit about waterfall versus agile. So this classic style of development is waterfall. And in this style, you'd ask, uh, you'd ask your customers, what do you guys need in this product? Then you'd take all that information, go back and design the whole product or the service. You'd develop the whole thing and you'd present it for sale. And then a lot of time with waterfall, there'd be this long period of time in between you ask the customers what they wanted. And when you present the final product, ultimately you find out it's not really what the customer wants. So as an example, let's say we have a course creator out there who says, I'm going to create a course on how to succeed at these escape room challenges. So how to make it out of, out of an escape room in an hour. And so they ask people that are into escape rooms what they want. Then they spend eight months making the course. 
they get their first sale when they launch it and the review comes in. It says terrible lighting, audio had an awful buzz, instructor had the energy of a hungover sloth, couldn't watch more than five minutes, refund requested. Like, how terrible is that? Right? Yeah. That's that's waterfall development gone bad. Yeah. And so so agile, uh, agile and this idea of the scrum is basically you start out by asking customers what they want. Then you're going to sprint to the minimum viable product and you're going to bring it back to the customer and have them proof that give any feedback. You're going to apply the feedback and you're going to proceed with your next sprint to the next minimum viable product. And so, again, Neil teaches those roles and best practices for the scrum master to, to manage this team going through this. So same idea with the course. You know, you ask people, you know, what do you want in your course? The first sprint is to get your audio and video set up. So, you know, you order your camera, you order your your uh, microphone, create a two-minute video, you drop it in the online course community and ask for honest feedback. And somebody comes back and says, you know, your audio is muffled, your camera angled. Your camera angle was upward so far that it had me counting your nose hairs and you had the energy <laughs> of a banana slug waking up from a nap. And so you're like, dang, like, good thing I asked. And so you you change your, your camera setup, you improve your microphone, drop another sample in the online course community, and people say, yeah, everything looks great. Camera looks great, and your energy is good. So then the second sprint is going to be you're going to do a one-hour workshop. So you get some people signed up for this one-hour workshop on solving the escape room. Um, you got great quality video, you drink a Red Bull, so you have good energy and people come back at the end of that with feedback and they say, we loved it, but the roles were confusing. Uh, I was still a little bit confused about who was supposed to do what in the escape room. And so then you like look around and you find how Neil uses the Legos to give greater clarity. You decide that you're going to use some uh, Star Wars models in your course. And so you add that in there and then you create your third sprint, which is to take a beta group through the course content in six weeks. And so you get feedback after each week's lesson, you re-record any confusing bits. And when you finally launch, you know, you've got this product that's 100% verified and you know it's exactly what your customer wants. So that's waterfall versus agile. Any feedback? You have such an amazing ability to tie anything into online courses. Well, you're the project <laughs> manager. I mean. Do you? Not anymore. <laughs> no, yeah. So that's interesting because years ago, I was a certified PMP, project management professional. And that's more of the waterfall side. And that's how we, that's how we manage projects. I have zero experience with this agile scrum stuff. I knew it existed. But that's a really interesting way to like, apply the concepts and the pros and cons of each, each style to course creation. And I can remember, you know, being a project manager, managing these projects, and you would you would meet with the customer a couple of times, and really you just try to nail down the scope as much as possible. Try to try to nail down what they want as much as possible. You you put as much of it into like one scope document as possible. Then you go away for a few months at times. You come back. It's like here we did we made the thing, and it's like well, and they could be like well, this isn't what we wanted, and that's not what we wanted because they weren't as involved throughout the process necessarily. And so I I see. I see advantages to this approach and I see advantages to this approach as a course creator too. And, and your examples were, were really good because you, you don't want to just go away for a couple of months, work on your course, do your thing. And then you think you have this amazing course to launch to the world, but there's all these things that you had blinders on and, and, and it's not an amazing course. So right, great takeaway. 
Yeah, definitely. And honestly, I mean, I'll be honest with the the listeners, the way that I developed my course was very much that waterfall example. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, I had imposter syndrome. I was scared to put something out to my actual peers. So I'll admit that it's hard to do it that agile way, but the sooner that you can get clarity about what's good and what what needs work, the better. So are you going to be, you, you mentioned getting back into your course a little bit now that, well, things are, I don't know if we can say back to normal, but you know, it's, <laughs> I don't think we can be not well. be normal forever, but um, eventually you're going to get back into it. So are you going to try to use some of these principles you just mentioned as you develop maybe a new version of your course? Yes, definitely. I want to do essentially kind of a mindset challenge that would have a beta group going through and I would present information on Monday and then we would have a live feedback on Friday or Thursday where people give their input kind of a deal. So definitely more collaborative and more feedback along the way. Yeah. And I think I've mentioned this before, but testing my new curriculum with a beta group live was one of the best things I've done in my business. I was just talking to my wife yesterday about the new version of the course that I'm recording and just how awesome it's going to be because, and I know it's going to be awesome because the previous version like gets very high feedback and people are learning piano with the previous version, but there are certainly holes and problems with it. And if I hadn't done this beta group with the new curriculum, then there would be, there would still be unknowns, but I did test it with these eight people. And I know that it works and I know that it works significantly better than the previous version. I know that now I just need to go record it as more of a more of a a course that anybody can take as opposed to recorded sessions from recorded live sessions, but it gives you just extreme confidence that it's going to work because you, because you just know it's going to work. Right. So I love this point where Neil said that he did work to improve his accent so that it wasn't (laughs) as thick for listeners around the world. And he learned that he was pronouncing his name wrong. So he was pronouncing Neil with one syllable instead of more commonly in America, we would say it with two syllables. And I was reflecting back. I mean, you know, the thing is, is putting yourself out there as a video creator and just anytime you record yourself, I mean, it can like kind of unveil some things that you didn't know about yourself. So uh, the first video that I ever had made to promote my practice, my chiropractic practice, uh, had an element of this that I got the surprise about myself. So I I was going to share that story. And it also just kind of highlight the idea of this waterfall, how waterfall can be a problem. So um, I had a patient coming in and he's a photographer for this nationwide retail company. He, they fly him out to locations and he photographs like an entire catalog worth of uh, essentially it's like uh, home goods products. And he said that he'd like to uh, get into doing video work. And so he proposed to me that we barter actually for an, a, a 30 second commercial. and. Really, I didn't want to run it on TV, so that should have been my first stopping point because I was like not willing to commit that amount of money. But I was—he was a nice guy. I was like, maybe it was a vanity thing, but I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So we put all this work in, do this whole recording, and uh, I don't see the footage at all as they're 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 recording it, and they play it for me, and I look at my bottom row of teeth, and there's this one tooth that seems to stick up stick up like an inch above the rest. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I have a snaggle tooth. And uh, I was just mortified. I was like, you know, my top teeth are pretty straight. I wore a retainer for a bit, but I was just like, no way. (laughs) So so I joked that I got this 30 second commercial. I I gave this guy $2,500 of credit for this. And all I got was a complex about my teeth and some (laughs) visits to the dentist. 
So, um, but yeah, I mean, if they would have like played the little clips of footage, I would have been like, whoa, you know, I didn't realize that. Can we come in from a different angle that like does not make that tooth appear to stick out so stick yeah. up so high? So what did you end up doing with it? Well, I went to a first dentist and I was like, dude, can you just dremel this, dremel this down? I was like, it doesn't need to be straight. I don't care about that, but I just don't want it to stick up above the others. And the first guy kind of like, he just blew me off. And so I ended up going to a second dentist and basically asked the same question. And he's like, yeah, no problem. And just, yeah, essentially the dental equivalent of a Dremel. Well, I was, and, uh, I was actually was talking about the uh, the video, not the tooth. Like, did you actually oh. use the video? <laughs> I mean, I'm glad we got the tooth story, but yeah, what did you do with the video? So the video is set in a vault in my desk this whole time. But actually, as I was like getting ready to share this story, I was like, I am going to put this out as a Facebook ad for my practice where I just, you know, the subject's going to be, I kept this secret for the last 10 years and I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to tie it into the way that like when people are dealing with pain, it's kind of this private thing that you're embarrassed about that, that, you know, you don't want, you don't want other people to see, but internally it's a struggle. So yeah, I'm excited to actually put it to work after all these years. Well, I bet it's not as bad as you think it, as you think it is. Oh man, I'll, I'll share it. So people can jump into the online course community and uh, look for, Look for this episode and I'll drop a picture in there. You can, you can judge it. Do you have anything like that that you learned about yourself as a part of just like taking, having the bravery to, to record yourself? So in terms of any, anything like I'm self-conscious about or anything like that? Just, I mean that if you can reflect back when you first put yourself on video or audio, Dude. any moment that you were like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you, if you are new to being on camera, having yourself on camera and, and you feel good about it and you like what you see, that's weird right? Most people, I agree. <laughs> most people when they're starting out, it's, it's, it's very weird for them. And I was certainly like that. I'm naturally introverted and I was very like monotone and had very little energy on camera. I, you know, I've, I've still got the very first video I basically ever recorded was a little, a little promo video I put on piano in 21 days.com saying, Hey, I'm working on the course, but for now you can download this free ebook. And I've, I have that video. It hasn't been public in years and it's very embarrassing, but I will, I will share it one day just to show like, here's not that I'm the best person on camera today ever, but I'm just, I'm significantly better today than I was back then just to kind of sh- show how bad I was. And then, you know, just slowly over time with practice, you get better and better and better at it. And now I'm very comfortable on camera. Like when I was recording on Friday, I was very much in my element because I've done it mm-hmm. so many times. I know how to talk to the camera. I know what it's going to end up looking like on the other end, but it did not start that way. Is there still somebody that you picture that you're talking to a specific person or anything? No, I don't have to really do that anymore. That is a trick that I've used in the past where I just like actually picture a student in one trick is you can like give your camera a name and just like pretend like you're talking to John or Sally or whatever. But no, I just, I've got it now. <laughs> Gotcha. Well, I had one other moment like this just recently. Uh, so I do the Big Brothers Big Sisters program, mm-hmm. and uh, my, I've had my little brother Preston for three years here. And uh, I mean, he actually is super just uh, emotionally intelligent and, and smart. But last year we had bike, or well, it was probably 2019, but we had biked down to the beach and hung out there for a while. And then we stopped on the way home and stopped at this restaurant. And we're sitting in the restaurant and I noticed that he's like staring at my forehead. And I was like, what are you looking at? And he said, nothing. And I said, well, is there something on my forehead? 
And he said, yeah. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, a giant Bane. (laughs) I was just like, oh my gosh. And so seriously, I don't know. It's just funny. But when I look in the mirror, one of the things I look for is like, oh, how much are those veins on the side of my forehead sticking out today? But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. We all see things when we look in the mirror. But do you think about that when you're like recording videos or anything like that? No, although <laughs> I would say that when I proof a video, you know, as I look at the uh, the lights reflecting off of my big bald forehead, mm-hmm. yeah, I probably do. I probably am. It is one of those things that I check. Well, I think one of the main takeaways. How are they looking today? I, man, I don't see them. I, you look great. You look great as always. <laughs> nice, nice sh- shininess on the on the top of the the bald head from the from the lights coming down. It looks great. But I think nice. the key takeaway here is if you've got anything like that, right? If you have a snaggle tooth, you got a vein, <laughs> right? You got a birthmark. You got like if you're unique like that in some way, like let's own it as a course creator. Own exactly. it, and that can make you just even more endearing and unique. To somebody out there watching, we don't want to be just some generic talking head voice out there. We don't need to be perfect in any way. There's times when I was recording my course where I like I messed up, and we're gonna leave it in there. It's okay. I'm not. I'm not perfect. I think I even say right. that in the course. I was like, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. That, that's okay. And um, that's another thing about this version of the course is I really let like the casualness of it kind of come through too. So every few lessons, I would throw something in. Uh, the beginning of one lesson, I was like, all right, guys, I'm going to start this one off with a joke. I may have told you this joke before, but this is my favorite piano joke. Okay. Okay. What's the difference between a piano, a tuna, and a big tub of glue? I don't know. Well, you can tune a piano, but you can't piano a tuna. (laughs) That's a dad joke if there ever was one. Yep. (laughs) So there's a part to that joke that that you seem to have missed. You remember the three things? No. <laughs> I said, what's the difference between a piano, a tuna, and a big tub of glue? Okay. So you're supposed to say, so most people, when they hear that joke, okay. you just completely ruined it. But I'm sure listeners are like, well, what about the tub of glue? Right? That's what you're supposed to say. Okay. What about the tub of glue? <laughs> I knew you'd get stuck on that one. Uh, no. So basically, at the, worse. at the end of that lesson, I know, I know, I know. So at the end of the lesson, I go, I'm like, by the way, if you're wondering about that tub of glue, I knew you'd get stuck on that one. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> well, uh, what shirt did you wear? You're, I, I'm kind of a player. I'm shirt. kind of a player. We're the same one throughout. If I tried to change shirts every time, it would mess up my my luscious locks on the top of my head, and it just wasn't worth it. So I just <laughs> wore my on brand shirt for the for all of them, and I'll wear the same one. We'll wash it, and I'll wear the same one this Friday as well. Very nice. All right. So Bonjoro. Um, I remember way back in episode 110 with Leah Gervais, she said, hopefully I pronounced her name correctly, but she said that she had found that there was a certain point in her, like as a person was progressing through her sales funnel, that she would uh, send out a personal message, maybe send out a Bonjoro. I'm not sure. Um, and you mentioned that Bonjoro gave you some feedback that they're seeing the most usage at a certain point in the sales funnel, can you share with us specific best practices that, that would be in your opinion to add Bonjoro into the funnel? Yeah, I can give you high level because this is not really something I'm doing myself, but I know from talking to the people at Bonjoro that the number one use case is to send somebody a, a Bonjoro video at a certain point in the sales funnel in hopes that that puts them over to the edge to actually purchase, which as you know, I'm using it more for after the sale to just thank and welcome my students. But in most like email autoresponders, I personally use ActiveCampaign. You can set up 
certain like triggers or scenarios. And you can say like, if this person, you know, opens this email and clicks this link and, you know, visits this page or something like that, you can, you can come up with your scenarios for what you consider like a very, very warm lead that you think a video would push them over to the edge. And so you wouldn't want to, let's, if, if you're getting, say, 100 email opt-ins a day going through your funnel, well, you can't send, well, it's not practical to send 100 Bonjoro videos. But if you can figure out, you know, 5% of the people do this, and then if I can send those five people a Bonjoro each day, then that's really going to, you know, double the chances that they're going to then make the purchase. These are all theoretical, hypothetical numbers, but that's the, that's the concept. If you can, you, you've got to do the work to figure out who those prime candidates are to receive a video like that. And then can you send them a video and increase the, the conversion at the end? Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, just trying to think about it in your situation, if you said people that have visited your landing page, but still haven't bought by the next to the last day, that would be a group of people that it would be worth sending a bonjour and just saying, hey, just wanted to check in, see if you have any questions. Um, I'd be thrilled to have you join my program. Yeah. Like if you could pick one point or one, what would you pick for our average listener? That is a good example, but I think more about like somebody that maybe has seen the offer in some kind of way. So maybe they've they've watched a certain point through of the sales video. If they've watched a certain point of through of the sales video but didn't purchase. That might mean that they've okay they've they've seen the offer now they're just kind of thinking about it, and then a video of me coming on, just reinforcing the offer a little bit and just saying that we'd really like to have you on board here to help you reach your piano goals could be the thing to push them over the edge. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, good question. And I this is this is hypothetical on my side. It's not something I'm doing, and maybe down the road it's something that somebody on my team could be doing because I don't really have interest in doing it myself in terms right. of the time it would take, but it it could be something that we could uh, integrate to our process down the road. Nice. Uh, One other thing I picked up on that I thought was interesting is that Neil basically trains people that go into his funnel to ask their manager for reimbursement. And that's something unique to business to business. But I was just thinking that uh, a lot um, so just so people know, I mean, before I became a, a chiropractor, my undergraduate degree was psychology. So if it ever seems like I'm just fascinated with human behavior, I mean, there is that element that, that yeah, I am. But I would really be curious what percent of people that are in committed relationships have to have a, a really in-detail discussion with their spouse before they buy. And so I actually did some research into this. Um, I found an article that says what percent of people in this just self-reported survey of 27,000 people, um, what percent of them have to talk to their spouse before they, they make a purchasing decision? Essentially, uh, this, this survey found that 28% of people said that they talked to their spouse about every purchase. 64% of people talked to their spouse to an item up to $100. So if they bought a $97 product, they would have to talk to their spouse. If you go up to a $500 product, then you get up to 86% of people would have to talk to their spouse. And if you jump up to a $1,000 product, then 91% of people have to talk to their spouse before they pull the trigger on that. And so um, for you, Jock, I mean, I kind of like the way that Piano in 21 Days is kind of just this test forum. But I think it would be really fascinating just to ask people in your Piano in 21 Days community uh, a question and just see 
how that went for them. So the question uh, would be for those in committed relationships with shared finances, did you have to convince your significant other that investing in piano in 21 days was worth it? What was most helpful to convince them? Um, I'd be curious if, if these people, a lot of them sat there and watched the entire webinar a second time with their spouse or, or how it went. That's a really, really good point. And I've certainly had people come through, you know, I have a 30 day refund policy. I've certainly, certainly had people like the next day after signing up be like, my, my husband, you know, <laughs> is, is so mad at me for making this purchase. Please give me a refund. So that those are cases where they didn't run it by the spouse and maybe should have, but I like what you're saying because it's one way, you know, we, we've talked about it many times, but it's always good to just talk to your, talk to people, talk to your students, talk to prospective students and find out what they're struggling with or, or what's going through head about certain things. And so maybe there's something I could be doing better in the funnel to help decision makers, to help loved ones that might be involved in the decision-making process for a $500 piano course. So I'm going to have to go back and listen to those exact words that you said, because that's, I think that's perfect. And I will, I will put you, you got my word. I'm going to post that exact, All right. um, those exact words to my, my student center for my, uh, piano in 21 day student center for my students. And let's see what some of the responses are. Maybe I can share it on a future episode. Love it. All right. Well, the last thing, I mean, it was just fun to hear about Neil Benson using the gifting, the Legos, um, like you mentioned earlier and that you talked about. Um, again, that episode where we talked about the five love languages was episode 111. And uh, so essentially, we said that giving a gift, again, you can give a gift to welcome people to your course. Um, in the past, I've shared that when somebody joins my course, my course is on public ski- speaking, which is terribly scary. And so currently, if someone joins my course, I send them a pair of Superman or Superwoman socks or Wonder Woman socks that I say, you know, hey, wear these during your first first lunch and learn, you know, give you that extra, extra bit of boldness. But the gift for a success is really cool just so because it creates a social share and social proof. So we talked about the ClickFunnels Award being a, a great example where, you know, it seems like everybody that gets a ClickFunnels Award other than Nate Dodson, it shows it <laughs> off. So. No doubt about that. And that's, that's really awesome that you do that. I think that goes, um, it's very congruent with what you're trying to do just to, to show them that they're a superhero on some level with the, with the socks that nobody else really sees other than themselves. Right. Cool, man. Well, yeah, I think you said that was the last one. So this was, um, this was a fun conversation with Neil. Um, it's, it's good. I mean, he, he's he's been very successful, but he's he's not like absolutely killing it with courses either. And I think it's good to hear all ends of the spectrum. And I appreciate Neil uh, for being a part of the audience and a listener, and for coming on the podcast and sharing sharing a lot of value with you out there. So that will do it here for 168. David, thank you as well for joining me here yet again. As usual, you can find the show notes by going to oc.show slash 168. And until next time, get out there and make some next level courses that provide transformation to your students and not just information. Take care, everyone. <laughs>